Let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the church and he says, Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we 
might become the righteousness of God. I love this passage of Scripture. I love how Paul is trying to explain to the Corinthians that because they are in Christ, they have the hope of heaven. He's talking about the fact that, you know, when, when we are in the body, we, we groan and we are burdened because we don't want to live on this earth. You know, people who, who are not looking forward to heaven, all they have is this earth. That's it. So everything about their, their goals and their aspirations all relate to what is going on here on this earth. But the Christian has a better hope. A more lasting hope. A hope that we can look forward to. And he's saying that while we are on this earth, we are burdened, we are tired, our body is aching. We can't wait to shed this tent of a body. We can't wait to get to heaven where there's no tooth decay. You know, I went to the dentist and the dentist telling me I need to spend thousands of dollars to fix my teeth. I said, I ain't got time for that. <laughs> Nor do I have the money. Our body is burdened. You know, when you're a teenager, you're like an elastic rubber band, man. You just stretch your out and bounce back. But when you cross 40, doing the, doing the slightest things, walking up steps, it's just so painful. We are burdened. We say, I can't, I can't wait to get rid of this body. You with me here? But he's saying that the Christian has the hope of heaven. And he says, we got to understand the inevitability of judgment. I love when he says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every single one of us in this room right now, you need to hear that. You will stand before Jesus Christ himself and you will have to give an account of what you did with your life. And I don't know what it's going to look like, but it will be a private individual interview. You've got to be ready for that. This is one of the preeminent teachings of the New Testament. The inevitability of a final judgment. You will have to give an account. I will have to give an account too. It don't matter that I'm a preacher. You think I get a pass because I'm a preacher? I have no pass. There's no passes. There's no free pass up in heaven. I too must give an account. Okay? And it's starting to get hot in here and maybe there's a reason why. You know, and then he says, man, we know what it is to fear the Lord. And he's not talking about a fear as in a spooky movie type of fear. He's talking about a healthy respect for the authority of God. We understand that, don't we? You know, when you're driving down the highway and you're cruising, you're not even looking at the speed limit. But once you see that squad car with those bright lights, you start paying attention. Right? 
I get it. I've been there. Look, I, I, I don't want to get pulled over. You know, I mean, the tickets in New York are expensive. But I have a healthy fear for the authority of the police. I don't disrespect them. I'll do whatever they ask me, me, me to do. But when I'm driving down the highway and I see that squad car behind me, I go, let me take my foot off the accelerator and let me make sure I am within the speed limit. He's talking about that kind of fear, that kind of respect. We ought to fear the one whom we are going to have to give an account to. It's a healthy thing. And then he says, since then we know what it means to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. You see, he's talking about here as Christians, because we know that there is a final judgment, and because we want each individual to be prepared for that day, it, it's, it's, we are intrinsically motivated Okay, not externally motivated, we're intrinsically motivated to give other men and women a chance. To me, that's the great mission that God has called each one of us to. If we can just give someone a chance, a chance, an opportunity to be able to stand before Christ and be considered forgiven. There's no greater task that a Christian can be involved in than the task of persuading others to fear the Lord. I love it when he said, he talks about this, you know, some people think that they're crazy. If we're out of our mind, it's for the sake of God. There's some people who think about what we do as Christians, it's nuts. Nuts. Some people think you gave 1.2 million for what? That's nuts. You could have bought a house. You could have bought an apartment here in New York. Well, maybe a half an apartment in, in, in Manhattan. <laughs> maybe a third of an apartment. But, you know, this whole, this whole notion, you're, you're, you're sacrificing for what? For who? Who are them people? You see, people think we're nuts. We're bananas! Because of what we do, it's, it's okay. We're not here to please the world. We're not here to pursue the things that the world is pursuing. We're here to please God, and that's what he says here. Christ's love compels us. In another translation, that says Christ's love gives us no choice. That's how powerful Christ's love needs to be in the heart of every Christian. We are compelled by Christ's love. I have to share my faith. I have to grow spiritually. I have to make some contribution to this great mission Jesus has called me to. Christ's love compels us. These are internal motivations, not external. Internal. Because I'm so grateful for what Christ has done for me. It compels me to live a righteous life in Christ Jesus. I love it when he says here, we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. 
And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Are you convinced that Christ died for you? See, this is, this is, a, this is a key component of our faith. Am I convinced that Christ died for me? Whenever I think back about what happened on Calvary, am I convinced that that was done for me personally? For Sean Barnes. Some people have this generic view that, well, Christ died to save the world. And yes, he did. But in our Christian faith, based on the scriptures, we've got to go from the general to the specific you with me here? You feeling me here? We got to go from the general, this broad view that Christ died for the world to a very specific and very personal understanding of what happened on Calvary. Christ died for me. How convinced am I? How convinced are you about that theological fact? Christ died for me and because I believe that, the scripture says, I no longer live for myself. I no longer live for myself, but for him who died for me. It says that I can't live for myself. What does that mean? Now, I'll tell you what that means. I got a lot of desires. I do. I have a lot of desires. I, 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 like, I would like to drive a Lincoln Continental. I mean, I see those cars and they just look really cool. I, I drive around sometimes in Queens and Forest Hills and I see some really, there's some fly places. Hello. <laughs> Let me tell you, it's all within the realm of my human desires to like those things. I think, it, I think it's normal. It's very, it's very human. There's nothing actually wrong with, with liking those things. I'd love to go on a vacation and tour Europe and be away for three months. I'd love to do that. And, and go sailing on the Grand Rivière or wherever they go sailing. I don't know. I, look, I, I like those things. But what is that all about? It's about me, isn't it? It's about me fulfilling my dreams and my desires. It's about me living for me. Living for myself. You know, in the society that we live in, especially here in New York, isn't it? It's all about me. You see it every time you get on the road. The way people drive. Get out of my way! Be popular! Okay! We happen to be sharing the road. But people drive like if they bought the road. We live in a society that is extremely self-centered. It's all about me. All about what, what I want. Then you look at the, at the ads. Oh my gosh. The ads on TV. You deserve this new car. You. You know what? You deserve it. They, they convince you. You deserve this. Not, I mean, even the mattress industry has become this fantastic thing. The kind of bed you sleep on. And it's all about 
You, you, you can even set a mattress to your personal comfort setting. Left side and right side. And, and the mat, this, this has become an elaborate thing now. Because of, but don't you feel like you deserve it? I deserve a good night. This is what is being told to us. The problem is some of us, we believe it. I deserve this. I deserve to have what I want. The Christian can't think like that. The Christian's got to think, look, he died so that those who live, meaning us, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. We, we got we to gotta work on that, brothers and sisters. Let me tell you something. Peekaboo. Your desires are not going away. Just because you're a Christian don't mean that all of a sudden your desires will not go away. You gotta learn how, how to control them. You, you gotta learn how to tell your, your, your inner selfish self, no! Stop it! Don't you love HGTV? Don't you love it? Look at all this fancy stuff. Marble tabletops, gold-plated knobs, and when you finish watching HGTV, what you think? I need that. I need that. Let's get some new tiling in this house. Let's get some sub-zero refrigerator in this place. Let's, let's, let's get this thing going. You go, special contribution? What is that? That's stopping me from my dreams. From what I want. Dude, turn HGTV off. Do yourself a favor. Turn it off, man. If you're going to struggle that much, turn it off. My wife loves HGTV. We, we have these battles. She's not struggling, but we have these things in our home. Anyway, it's all good. So it's, it's a work in progress, right? We got to decide who we're going to live for. See, that's the thing. We got to decide. And this is a... People in the world, they don't have any choice. They just live for, for themselves. Who else to do, do they live for? As a Christian, we live for him who died for us. This is a very important belief that we got to embrace. And then he goes on to say, he says, you know, we, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. He said, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You look at yourself, if you've been washed and forgiven of your sins, you are a new creation. Now, your body may be breaking down the longer you're in, in the faith. But we're not talking about the outside now. We're talking about what's going on inside. You're with me here? You are a new creation. The old you is gone. That old you is gone. The new you is here. Alright? And he says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You know, I used to be a bank teller. I know, isn't it hard to believe? When I graduated from high school, I used to, I worked in a bank in Trinidad. It was called the National Commercial Bank. And my job was to be a teller. 
And I worked for two years in the National Commercial Bank. And so for two years, that's all I did. I was a teller. And the most dreadful part of my day, being a teller, is when the bank is closed. Because what you have to do is you have to reconcile your money. And that can be a frightful, frightful experience. It was for me on several occasions. I'll tell you what, what happens. Every morning, a teller is given a certain sum of money. Okay, the, the money is, is contained in a small metal box. And during the course of the day, the teller pays money out, and then the teller receives money as deposits. So you pay money out for withdrawals, and then you receive money for deposits. The way it works is this. What the cash that you have left over should be equal to the, the, the money that you started with. You add all your deposits and you minus your withdrawals. It should be the money that you have in your possession. Is that, was that a little bit too hard to understand? <laughs> Look, it took me months to figure that one out, but I finally got it. <laughs> so what happens at the end of the day, the teller has to count all the money in their possession. And they have to write it down, and then they do this equation. Okay, how much money did I start with? How much deposits did I get? And how much did, did I pay out? And if everything all balances out, you're reconciled, and you can go home. You can go home. But, if you find that the money you have is less than the money you ought to have, you stand unreconciled and you cannot leave. I'll tell you what happens. Sometimes, depending on the amount, sometimes tellers have been short, we call it short, $500, sometimes $1,000. It's like, where the money go? Sometimes it's a mathematical error where, you know, oh, I... I, I it, I'm, I wrote down nine when it really is six. And sometimes tellers actually pay out more money than they should. And if that's the case, I'm, I'm, I'm just giving you the short version. Sometimes it takes hours just to find out where the mistake was. You got to go through every withdrawal slip. You got to see, okay, who did I pay? I know one, one girl who worked with, with, with us, she overpaid a customer $500. She had to take a taxi to go to where the person lived. And these people lived, I mean, this is the third world. This person lived on some mountain with no, with, with no, with no steps. She had to go walking up a hill, you know. And she had to go tell the person, look, I overpaid you $500, right? And, and that's, that's the, and then, then, then the, then the dreaded thing, if you cannot find where, how you ended up being short, what happens is, well, the bank has a little sum, a short sum of, a small sum of money to cover over, but once your coverage runs out, it comes out of your salary. That's how it works. And the reason why it's that, People, human beings, get tempted to steal. And there are, there have been some tellers that have stolen money. And it's because of these strict accounting procedures that sometimes you realize this person, they're, they're not being honest. 
So we've had all sorts of situations like that. But I say all this to let you know how challenging it is for me, or it was for me sometimes, to reconcile my stuff financially. It was hard work. Sometimes it took hours just to find the $100 because I don't want to pay $100 out of my paycheck. You, you feeling me here? And, and sometimes you, you, you really work hard just to be reconciled. The reconciliation the apostle is talking about here is not a financial reconciliation. It's a relational reconciliation. It's to, it's to reconcile men to God. Okay? There are many men and women who inhabit this great city and are completely unaware of the fact that they're not reconciled to God. There are men and women who are living in sexual immorality right now. And they have no clue that this lifestyle means that they're unreconciled to God. There are men and women who are living in lust and sexual impurity. They're living in debauchery, greed, idolatry, drunkenness, orgies, drugs. It's a common thing here in this city. Common. It's almost the norm. Almost the norm. Those men and women stand in a place where they are unreconciled with God. The only problem is there's no financial worksheet to figure it out. The way you figure it out is through the Word of God. Amen. And I'll tell you, it takes work. It takes hours to reconcile men to God. It is, it is a laborious, time-consuming process. But once that reconciliation takes place, hooray! You with me here? Like, hooray! But it is a time-consuming labor of love to reconcile men and women to God. And it says in verse 19 that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. This is the main idea behind reconciliation. That your sins, all your sins are completely wiped away. They are not counted against you. All the shame and the guilt that is stored up in the hearts of sinners is completely washed away once that process of reconciliation takes place. I love it when he says, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Anyone who has been reconciled to God now receives the ministry of reconciliation. And that commitment has come from God. Once you're reconciled, you are committed by God to this ministry of reconciliation. What does he mean? He's saying that now that you are reconciled and you know what it feels like to be reconciled, you must now live the rest of your life in the hope that you can help someone else. 
be reconciled to Christ. I met with Mike Scott uh, this, this past Friday. We had a great time. Mike's an awesome brother. And we, we sat down uh, at Queen Center Mall and we did what men normally do is we ate. Um, but we were just talking about our salvation. And you know, I was telling Mike, Mike, you know what? I, I remember the day I was baptized. I remember, I remember the, the, the day when there was a big uh, horse trough. Okay, it was in the middle of, uh, of the night. I was in an apartment. And I remember um, being asked those two questions. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? That he died for your sins and on the third day rose again? And I said, yes, I do. And what is your good confession? Jesus is Lord. I remember being told, Sean, because of your faith, I'm now able to, to baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit for forgiveness of sins. And you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I remember getting in that tub and, and just being fully immersed. And at the time I didn't fully understand what was going on. But I remember that something happened to me. I, I, I can't describe it. But I remember coming up out of the water and just because of what I studied, realizing something is different now. And I remember going home thinking, wow, this is really, this is awesome. I mean, all the sin that I've done, all the pleasure that I received from the sin that I, that I was committed to, had no comparison to this, this heavenly experience that I had. And I remember going home, and, and, and when I put my head on the bed, it was the sweetest night I ever had. I told, I told my, I'll never forget that. Yeah. Mike said, yeah, it's the same thing. <laughs> he said, I'll never forget my baptism. I mean, these are, these are memories that we got to cherish because they came from God. It's a gift of God. I'll never forget that day. And neither should you. And now, that message of reconciliation is committed to me and committed to you. And now we must make it our mission in life to help other men and women who stand unreconciled to God be given the opportunity to be reconciled. We're ambassadors. Whether we're at home, we're an ambassador to our children. We're ambassadors of Christ in our neighborhood, on your job, at social events. When you're at movies, you're an ambassador. When you're at the doctors, you're an ambassador. You know, it's one of the things I love about my wife. You know, when Robin goes to the doctor, she's not just, oh boy, whoa, what's going on with my body? She's like, man, who, who can I influence here? And there are times I'm like, can we go, honey? She's like, well, no, let me, let me just give this number to somebody. Let me get that person. She inspires me. Because everywhere she goes, she just wants to, just to give someone a chance. That's it. To give someone a chance. You know, that's why we give our special contribution. In the hope that would give someone a chance. And some people may be cynical and go, well, how are we going to save all those people? 
Does it really matter? It mattered to me. It mattered to me. It mattered to me. There were millions of people in Toronto. I don't know why God picked me. But here I am studying the Bible and, and learning about my sin. And I tell you, when I was baptized on that night, it mattered to me. And I'm sure you feel the same way. And if, it can, if what we do can matter to just one person, whether they're in Africa or the Caribbean, in Syracuse or Albany, I think all of what we gave would be worth that one person's soul. So, brothers and sisters, let's never forget God is making his appeal through us. If you're here, you're visiting, you're studying the Bible. I want to encourage you to pursue God with all your heart. To ask someone who brought you here to study the Bible. To get to know this message of reconciliation. If you're currently studying the Bible, let me encourage you, man. Let, let nothing stop you. Let nothing distract you from being reconciled. Spend the hours that you need to to get reconciled. Study the word. Stay up all night if you need to. We did that all the time when we were out there getting drunk and high, right? We'd do it in a, in a heartbeat. We'd be out there partying, making a fool of ourselves all night without even thinking twice. Well, make a fool of yourself for Jesus. Say, man, I'll do whatever it takes to study the Bible to get my life reconciled. What a great cause, what a great mission, what a great purpose we've been given. Praise God. Let's all stand and we'll have a closing song at this point.